Welcome to Health Raisers. Health Raisers don't just survive, together we thrive. I'm your host, Dr. Nadine. My friend, fellow coach, fellow akimbo nerd, one of my curiosity superheroes is here today in my virtual living room. And I'd like to welcome you, Sana. And before we dive in and I hear all of the warm wisdom from you, I would just love to give the audience a piece of a biography that you wrote in one of the workshops in a Kimball that we coach together, the Creatives Workshop, because I think it really encapsulates how creative you are, how curious you are, and how you paint beautiful pictures with words. This intro gave me life. It gave me a dopamine hit. It gave me a hit of oxytocin. It's gorgeous. Sana, you said, I took root in the crowded streets of Pakistan, sprouted in the concrete jungles of New York and bloomed in the deserts of Saudi Arabia. And now I'm residing in New York with my husband, nurturing three beautiful daughters. Oh my goodness, thank you. I can't wait to read your book. It is in process of being purchased right now, Chai Chats. I've waited way too long. Well, thank you, Nadine. It is just so wonderful to be here with you. It's my honor. Thank you for coming. So you are one of my curiosity superheroes. We've gotten to know each other relatively well in the past few months. And you're, you just embody curiosity to me. You do it in so many beautiful ways, um, giving people space, showing people empathy, knowing the question that's going to allow that person to dive deeper and maybe see something that you can see and that maybe that student or participant or that creative can't see. You never take the stance of like a status type thing where you are all-knowing and teacher you, I also see you learning from your inter- interactions too. So curiosity, to me, you embody curiosity as a, as a dance, a partnership with the people you interact with. So tell me, tell me, what do you, how do you define curiosity for yourself? Oh, thank you for saying all of that. I'm just taking that in. I feel like I've been curious. Like when you said that and I was reflecting on, okay, how do I embody curiosity? I've always been curious, even as a child. And I have a funny story to share with you. Um, I lived in Pakistan, so we used to have weddings and I would not really be interested in being at the wedding. So I would just like go outside. And uh, one at one wedding, I remember that there was a person on a cart and he had tomatoes on his cart. And I used to love tomatoes. And I was like, I wonder where tomatoes come from. And does this guy go to a farm? So I just started following him. I just <laughs> followed and followed. And I realized that I was not nowhere near the wedding venue. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like this curiosity has really gotten me far. <laughs> I was, I believe, six or seven at the time. And one of my uncles spotted me at the marketplace. And he was like, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be at the wedding? 
so my curiosity has led me really to like far off places. Um, sometimes dangerous. <laughs> I, I mean, it has never, you know, they have that expression like curiosity killed the cat. Uh, it hasn't killed me yet. It has only made my life richer. <laughs> That's and- a lovely way to put it. <laughs> so you and I have had discussions before about kind of similarities we share, we share in our upbringing of certain values and ways of being, you know, respecting our elders. So I wonder in that space, you just described a lovely story, but did you ever find yourself in a position where your curiosity wasn't encouraged necessarily, or you might've felt like, I, I want more, but I'm not in the right space to to express it? Yes, yes. Like, I I have felt that. And I know you shared this with me, Nadine, because I am the oldest daughter. And being an oldest daughter, you have kind of like, it's a gift and also a burden because you're trying to pave the way for your siblings. And, and also, I'm an immigrant. So when I came here to America, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you are the leader. And you are going to show your siblings and your family the way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's a lot. And I remember like one of my earliest memories, my grandfather, who I love dearly, he has passed on. He asked me, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told him, like, I want to be a journalist. And he said, well, you can't be a journalist because it's a difficult job because, you know, you're a woman. And I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Mm. That, that's when I realized like, wow, like in a Pakistani society, it's, you know, we have these statuses, we have these roles that we have to play, we're put in boxes. So I thought that was interesting. That, so that's one of my earliest memories where it's like, huh, society has some roles and we got to check off like a checklist and we got to go in a certain path. And that kind of kills your curiosity. And I remember coming here, I was still curious but I feel like when I went to high school that's when my curiosity really died (laughs) like it was like Mm. huh now I really like you know there's this way I gotta you know like the American dream so to speak I gotta Mm -hmm. fulfill that American dream otherwise all our sacrifices would be for nothing were you in America already for high school I was I was in America when I came to fifth grade oh okay okay yeah and so when you say that your curiosity was a little bit squelched in high school, can you say more about that? Well, I saw like all these cliques, like all these little, even mm. though there was so much diversity mm. and it was like such an exciting time in my life, but I just felt like there were walls. The, the Pakistani kids hung out with the Pakistani kids, the Indians hung out with the Indian kids, the white kids and the black kids with the black kids. And it's like, huh? Here we are, and we're in such a beautiful place of diversity, yet still we're not able to like penetrate these walls and actually mm. talk to one another. And I mean, I don't know how life is like now in high schools and schools, but back then in the 90s, that's what it was. So that was interesting. It's like stay in your lane, you know, mm. and don't bother anyone. And if you just abide by certain rules, these unspoken rules that society has, then maybe you will get you know, like the, some kind of like an American dream come true for you. So how did you cope with that feeling of suppression? So maybe your curiosity couldn't be as unbridled as you wanted it to be, but then how, since it was such a part of your nature, how did you manage it in that situation? I wouldn't 
really call it managing. I think I would call it avoidance. Like I avoided、mm. it, and I think that's what kind of led me to like. I felt like, am I even normal? You know, like for wanting something more. And it it seemed like everybody else knew what they were doing, while I didn't. So even、mm. when I went to college, I went after things which I didn't want to go for. Like、I was like, oh, I have to be a doctor. Otherwise, I'm not successful. And when that didn't go to plan, I'm like, oh, I have to do the next most stable career, which is being an accountant. And I went after that. Like I followed things that I thought I was supposed to be doing, rather than following the inclinations of my heart. And I did kind of cope with it. Like I would take some creative courses on the side, but that was on the side. Like, oh, that's my side thing, you know. Just so I can cope with it, and then I didn't give it my all, you know, like for my whatever I was trying to achieve. Like I was trying to achieve like a career, so that it would be fruitful for my parents to have made it to America, and they would have me to show off for like, oh yeah, look, our kids are amazing, and they have this wonderful career. So that's very interesting. I was going to ask you about your social circle because as I'm getting older, I'm realizing more and more the power of our social well-being and how it ties into our emotional, mental, even physical well-being. So, in other words, your social circle, I think, is is a place where you can really nurture your psychological safety. And feeling、yes. of belonging and a sense of agency too, because we do have the power to choose more than we think we do. Yes, who we want to, who we want to spend quality time with, surround ourselves with, so that we can become, we can see in others who we want to be or want to be more of, and community, the power of community to see things that we can't see and to encourage. Not just see, but to encourage what we may not see, because I see you as being a prolific author, a generous person, beautiful with words, nurturing all of those things. And by telling you that, hopefully you can see some of those things more, or maybe embrace some of those things more, or, or recognize,、yeah. um, and then kind of fold into your identity a little bit more, so that you can act from that place. From what other people are seeing, because we get what we need from each other, and so I'm wondering then at that time, those challenging times in school, did you have the power of a social circle to help you feel like you weren't alone? Yes, I did have some wonderful friends who I'm still in contact with, and. You know, they were also Pakistani, and they understood what it was like. And they were also the oldest daughters of an immigrant、mm-hmm. family, so they understood what it is. Where am I coming from? So I think that was also like the you know silver lining in the cloud. We're still in each other's lives, and even though we're so far away, because we're all mothers and caretakers, and we all have different lives, it's just whenever we talk to each other, we understand. And just like the, you know, you said community, Nadine, and I feel like in my recent years I've noticed like the power of community.、Mm-hmm. It is so potent. It's amazing.、Um, I lost one of my daughters,、uh, my one of my first daughters, and、uh, I I went to therapy for many years. 
after her loss. But that grief didn't transform until, you know, I experienced it in community. And that was in one of the Akimbo communities when I started writing about my daughter. And there were people reading about her. And they just said, wow, like, we feel you. Just that, like, my grief started to transform from from there. Like, just them being there, their presence being there transformed it. Whereas in therapy, I mean, it was like therapy did help. But then there's something about community, just like not having that feeling of that I'm alone in this. Mm. Like I know that grief is like very personal for everyone. It's very different. Mm. So in that way, you are kind of alone. You have to go through it alone. But just having like this powerful container of a community with you saying that we feel you like we're here. That just helps a lot. Well, I've got to say that I'm just in awe of what you're saying. First of all, I have heard your story. It was through another podcast and I was just moved beyond moved because anyone who knows me wants me to stop talking about my kids. At some point it's like, yes, we know you have two daughters. Okay. Um, But only another mother who loves her daughter so much like you can understand why they're always in in the front of my mind. I'm a nurturer by nature, big time. And um, so I was really deeply affected by that interview. And I have to say that I wonder if you give yourself props for being able to share such an intimate and deeply profound transformative event like the loss of a child in community. You know, there are many people I know in my life, I can think of many people who would suppress that or people that don't feel comfortable sharing all of themselves in community or for whatever reasons feel like it's safer to maintain very hard boundaries, private versus public life, private versus professional life. And I feel like that also needs to be honored. You know, when people want to not talk about it, there's also an honoring of that. And uh, it Mm -hmm. took me about eight, nine years to finally talk about her Mm. in community. Mm. And I think what drove me to talk about her was because I did not want to forget her. You know, Mm. like she is a part of my life, even though she's not here. And... And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned, Nadine, like, you know, our daughters, like we talk about them so much. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, I I always feel that like, oh, do people think that I always talk about my daughters? But they're such a part of us, right? They can't help but talk about them. So even like our personal and our public domain, they're so intertwined and interconnected with one another. Both of these things like affect each other so much. You can't really like separate them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're part of uh, this what I mentioned before, part of this vibrant social circle, because I'm not just talking about my daughters and I I don't hear you doing the same thing. I mean, of course, there's a, a 
a lot of bias and, and we, we're proud of them and we celebrate, um, like, hi, a little coach, you know, coming to our, <laughs> I'll never forget that. It's one of my most precious memories. She'd come to our meetings, but you never know what seeds we were planting for her later on, what kind of leadership she'll take from that, right? But so there's pride, but there's also, I know from me, for from my point of view, I learned so much from them and I'm going to cuss. They call me out on my bullshit. Yes. Just the other day, one of my hangups is, oh, I wish I could be, and this is why I do this. I surround myself with people I do consider smarter than me. I do want people smarter than me in the room. And so sometimes I'll say something like, or I did the other day, I said, you know, I wish, I just wish I were smarter. I forgot who I was talking about. And they both stopped me and looked at me like, what on earth are you talking about? And it wasn't just, no, mom, you're smart. It was full of examples. This is how you show your intelligence. This is, you know, through your emotions, through this, through that. So we need, we need people around us like that. We, we need to celebrate by talking about our daughters and how much they make us better and make us want to be better because we it's, I don't think it's just a top down thing. I think it's a virtuous cycle. I think it can be, I think it's a beautiful relationship. It is. Oh my God. That's so beautiful, Nadine. And it makes it that that's your community, right? Like they call you out on your bullshit. And I remember just like uh, two weeks ago, I entered a, a writing contest and I lost. Like, okay, that happens all the time. I found out right when uh, I was about to pick my kids from school and I was in like a really bad mood. I was like, oh my God, I was disappointed, obviously. And I'm like, oh no, you'll do better next time. But then I'm like, no, wait, let me feel my feelings. So now I give myself a chance to feel the feelings because I don't want to, you know, let go of that and skip over to the understanding part. Like I want to really embody the feelings. So I went to pick up my kids and uh, I picked up my oldest and then I went to pick up Haya from daycare. And I told my kids, hey kids, you know, you might notice that I'm a little off today. It's because I, I lost this writing contest that I entered and I'm a little bit disappointed. So I'm driving the car and then uh, my middle one, Rania, she goes, well, mom, you can't expect to win every writing contest, right? She's only six years old. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Mm. I'm still disappointed. Mm. And then she says, you know, I was disappointed today. I lost like a race of, like uh, I lost a race with my friends. And I'm like, okay, so then how did you uh, get over that? Or did you get over that? She said, I got over it because my friends came to me and they said, it's okay, let's try again. And I said, wow, that's beautiful. And see, they are teaching you too. Yeah. And I see in that example potential growth for them to be able to make this relationship even stronger. You talked to me about this uh, a while back about how difficult mothering can be. And we talked about making space for our kids, right? And how we can, you know, we don't necessarily have to feel the pressure of only showing 
you know, if I do this, then you'll be able to do this. But they also they can give that back to us by showing us examples from their lives of how they manage their difficulties. And then it opens this door. And what I'm getting to is how do we keep strengthening our relationship with our girls? That story you just told is gorgeous. You're already doing it. You by even saying to them, most mothers wouldn't do that. I would I shouldn't say that some would not do that to be that transparent. I'm in a bad mood because so, you know, and to be that open, uh, open hearted. And then to have your daughter use that as an example to say, no, I don't see that. This is what I see. And this is what happened to me. And it just allows this open door of continual curiosity, a deepening of the bond, a strengthening of the friendship. I don't necessarily agree with people when they say that I'm your parent, I'm not your friend. I get it. I get what they're trying to say. But I do think that you, I think a strong friendship is the root of a great relationship. Yeah. And I think there can be still, you can set up clear boundaries, respectful ones, um, what you, how you will and will not engage. But at the end of the day, I think having a really strong friendship with your kids as a foundation makes you both better. So why wouldn't you want that? Yeah, exactly. And you've helped me with this a lot, Nadine, because, you know, I have my oldest is a preteen and she's, you know, going to be a teenager soon. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, there is. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, I've uh, explained to you like my worries (laughs) and uh, yeah. So it's like, okay, let me be a little bit more curious. What do they need at this moment? Because they Mm. don't need the same things from you Mm. when they were two or three years old. Mm -mm. It's always changing. It's Mm. like a, you know, it's not a linear relationship. It's always changing. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like curiosity, being open, it's also has to do a lot with unconditional love. And you've mentioned mm-hmm. that before, like the power of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And that also helps us be together. Like, you know, you, it penetrates that wall that we often put up. So yeah, yeah, it's just, I feel like my kids opened up that door of curiosity even more for me. That's lovely. Yeah. That's absolutely lovely. I want to shift gears because this is a point of resistance for me, becoming an author. It just feels very, very intimidating. So I I want to talk about maybe taking, again, using the power of community and our friendship and my admiration for you of how you are able to go through that process, what may have been your personal struggles with putting pen to paper and becoming an author and how you, I don't want to say prevailed, persevered. Mm, that is such a good question because I am in the throes of that right now. <laughs> so what a, yeah, what a wonderful question. When I publish my book, right? Because I'm, um, I'm a person who really likes to be in the head a lot. I was just like, wow, there's a lot of personal stories in my book. And it's memoir, like personal essays. A lot of stuff about my in-laws, a lot of stuff about my family. And I was like, wow, how is my family going to perceive this? Mm. That was one of my main concerns. And my husband, he's like, oh, don't worry about that later. You know, like you have like this goal, just fulfill it. And the the wonderful thing was I was in community of authors 
were publishing their books at the same time. So that really drove me like, okay, you know, there was like this wonderful energy that we were feeding off of, like everybody's publishing books and I'm going through this process. I think if I was not in that community, I would not have published. So I published that book and I just shared with my writer friends that here I published this book and I received really great feedback from them. I was very hesitant to share with my family that I published a book because, you know, I just didn't know how it will be perceived. It's been two years now since Chai Chats has been published and I'm still trying to like own that label of being an author. Mm. Yeah. So it's like a consistent, I, I think many authors, even if you've published like 10 books, you're still in that process of like making that label your own, of wearing that label. And then eventually my in-laws got to read it because my husband, he's wonderful. He took a few copies to Pakistan and he handed them out to my sister-in-laws and my mother-in-law, father-in-law, and they read it. And the last time I went to Pakistan, which was after seven years, they gave me like the most warmest reception ever. Mm. And it was just like, wow. I mean, this, just the act of writing that book was such a gift to me because I was able to communicate my feelings on paper. And I I feel like for the first time, my in-laws, and even my mom has read that book, and there's a lot of stuff in there about my mom. It feels like, wow, they really understand now what I'm all about, what Mm. I was feeling at that time. And we have like a more deeper Mm. relationship because of that now. So I wonder if you take away the burden of yeah. a label and maybe reframe or, or maybe focus on what your what maybe on, on the purpose of yes. writing for you is. So I, I'm I'm curious to hear what more about the why he wrote the book and who it was for. Why I wrote the book was, I mean, I consider it to be my imperfect words. And the reason that drove me to it was that. If it motivates another person to write a book or to in any way share something about themselves that is very intimate about them, then that's it. My purpose has been fulfilled. So that was like my inner intention okay. of writing that book. And I think that what that is what drives me because for such a long time, I've been a person in my head and I feel like the pain and burden of that. I feel like nobody has to live with that burden. There is like, there are people out there who care. There are people who want to receive you. And uh, we just have to make that first step to be willing to be like open up to like receiving that love. So I think that's, that is what drove me. Like I am in search of people who don't want to have surface level conversations. They want to have deeper, (sighs) meaningful conversations Mm -hmm. and I think that's what drove us all to Akimbo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And recently, as I'm like practicing being more visible about my writing, um, I went to a woman's retreat. It was a Muslim woman's retreat. And I usually don't really do these kind of things. Uh, I, I like to be an introvert. I like to, I'm a hermit. <laughs> I like to stay home and read my books and watch Netflix. But I'm like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> so I went there. And there, there were amazing women there, doctors, accountants, business owners. And then I introduced myself 
because I had this intention, I'm going to introduce myself as an author of Chai Chats. Um, so I introduced myself as that. And they were all really amazed. They were like, wow, you're an author. That's amazing. Tell us more. It is. Yeah, it was like beautiful and wonderful. And I shared that with them and that motivated them. They're like, yeah, you know, I've been working on something that I think I want to publish. I'm like, yes, please do, because we need more voices like yours out there. And one of the women there, she was a part of a leadership summit that's happening this Sunday. So she reached out to me. She said, hey, why don't you come to the summit and talk about your book? And I was like, wow, what a great opportunity for me to finally become like, finally owning that, yes, I did write a book and here it is. And you can write one too, if you want, or you can do whatever you want, like go after your dreams. Like don't like ever stop because, you know, if you don't go after your dreams, then like, what is the purpose of life? Oh my goodness. Yes. I'm hearing universality. Yes. in what you're saying universal human themes, but I'm also hearing the power of specificity (sighs) because I'm imagining you entering that room and everyone is, we tend to in our, in, in this culture, focus on what do you do? Yes. Right. And so then it's, the focus is going to be more on or tends to be more on productivity and status. But it sounds to me like you made everyone relax when you said, I'm an author, because then it became, oh, wow, I don't have to be these initials behind my name. I want to be, I want to show up in a, in a more, in a whole way. And if someone from my culture can open up and be this vulnerable like this, it's, it seems like you can, it's, it sounds to me like you were leading in that moment a shift, a reframe, uh, a, a way of thinking, um, a questioning of, that curiosity was just pouring out again, a, a questioning of what, who can we be, what, what can we be, what narratives no longer serve, what can help us move forward now? And, and again, you and I have touched upon this, you know, respecting your elders. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think respecting your elders, but to a, to a certain point, I think there's a balance with everything. And, and the children are made to be seen and not heard and not necessarily encouraged to ask questions. And you listen to mom without questioning, you listen to dad without questioning. I feel like there's a little, I'm going to even say like a little bit of rebellion in writing. I mean, I kind of heard it a little bit when you were talking about, you know, I wrote, I wrote stories about my family and my in-laws and I didn't know how it was going to be received, but you took a chance, you took a risk. And that's what a curious person does. You take risks and they're not always going to pay off, but in your case, it did. It, it helped you and your mother to get closer and to understand certain things, maybe bridge some gaps that it wouldn't have been so easy to just sit down with her and talk about out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do. I feel like as with time, there are times and also there are 
vessels or containers that make it safer to explore with someone you love, someone an elder. So, okay, let me give you an example. Um, it, it feels messy, but I, I, I'm so encouraged by what you just said. So my, my mom, again, came from that generation. We're immigrants from Haiti, as you know. Uh, I w- I'm first generation born here. I'm the eldest, uh, like you. And, you know, my parents didn't grow up with parents who sat down with them. They were definitely made children, be quiet, be good, behave yourselves. And, you know, we were brought up a, a, a lot that way. I'm not saying my parents weren't approachable, but it was just awkward, you know, like learning to engage on a deeper level and ask questions. And so most recently, my first stint, I think, with writing a book is going to be something that's meaningful me, legacy, kind of like what you're saying, and writing a cookbook because what happens with the generations, as you know, is you do start to drift away from those cultural roots. And evolve as you should, you know, with different cultures and times and things. But I don't want my kids to lose what it feels like or looks like to make a Haitian pot of rice and beans. Yes. Or chicken, Haitian style, or plant. I want them to be able to, to keep have that. Yeah. I found that it's been a great way. By doing this book, I'm doing it via audio and I'm going to be writing some things and probably animating some things, but it's in the works now. But it's a way that my mother, daughter, eldest daughter and I are coming together and doing the project. Oh, and beautiful. so as we're cooking, stories are coming in. Uh, the stories that may, again, not have been as organic before as like now we have a scenario a safe container where we can say where she can say oh my mother used to do this yeah you know because she's making this thing and so i get to learn about my grandmother a little bit more yes so I, i do think that if we don't as curious people take these types of risks even though they're super scary and no one before you has done it before it can be quite magical and give you gifts you may not expect. Like, I don't think, it doesn't sound like you expected your in-laws and your mom to go, yes! I know. Thank you for, thank you for opening the book on our, our family story. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Oh, wow. And that's such a beautiful, like, experience, Nadine, that you talk about. Like, I can imagine you in the kitchen with your mom and being connected to your elders. That's what I feel like when I'm in the kitchen with my mom. And, uh, you know, my mom is an orphan. So, like, I feel like being an immigrant, you always feel like your stories are fragmented. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's like a place mm-hmm. back home and mm-hmm. now you're here. What is really home? Mm-hmm. And then now having a mom who was an orphan who didn't really know her parents. And then when she speaks about what life was like when she was growing up and how she learned how to cook, it just feels like you get so connected with your ancestors and it's really powerful. So I feel like curiosity, not only like it's, it's a good way into the future, but also in the past, it's something that like strengthens you from within. And I totally agree. I really want my kids to like know how to make a Pakistani dish of rice, you know, and like, I don't want them to lose that. Yeah. And these kind of things take risks, right? Because you could, just be like 
like how people are and go with the flow of that. Or you could disrupt it and yeah. ask questions and try to live a more meaningful life, more intentional life in that way. And I like that the, um, the inquisitive kind of going back to how you've always shown up as far as I'm concerned, whenever we interact, it's this inquisitive, inviting and warm way of making that space so that the other person can open up as much as that person needs to open up. Exactly. Yeah. Because we don't always, we don't always get that. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate to what you're saying about being, I like to, I'm an introvert too. I call myself a social introvert though. I find it incredibly rewarding and safe to have these types of intimate conversations. Me too. Um, to have these moments of real connection, deep connection versus the ones where I feel incredibly where other people might find refuge, where it's, let's just keep it very service level. I find that very um, unsettling. Me too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like right now we're talking, right? And we're in this wonderful gathering. Like you're becoming a part of me as you're speaking. And I'm taking a little bit of you away with me after this talk. Whereas when we're at like a surface level conversation, it's just like on the top and I will forget that person. And I feel like that's just a waste of time. <laughs> it's a waste of time and a lost opportunity. But then again, you know, I try to put my empathy hat on. I go, well, you know, maybe that's that's all this person can give, wants to give, feels safe enough to give. Yeah, and we just don't know. So we, we yeah. meet people where they where they are. But I don't try to spend a lot of my time with. <laughs> I, I know <laughs> people who just want to talk about the weather. Um, Mm -mm. Or at those parties, I'm sure you've been at them, where yes. everyone is talking about their PhD and, and whatever and, and just work. And it's like, gosh, I don't know. It just feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah. And I feel like because the pandemic, you know, it was a blessing and a curse at mm -hmm. the same time. Because of the pandemic, we have had the opportunity to not go to these kind of gatherings, right? And wow, what a freedom that was. And when now that people are slowly going back into, you know, the social meeting up and everything, now we have a choice. Like, do I want to engage in the same kind of parties? No, I did not miss that. So let me be more intentional with the kind of people that I do want to meet up with. Yeah. So I think that's been really, really wonderful. And I'll say this too, since you brought up the pandemic and people are talking about exhaustion with Zoom and all that. And I'm I'm finding it, yes, it can, it can be, just like anything else. If I were to go yes. to a, an in-person meeting and I have meetings back to back to back, that's exhausting. Zoom meetings back to back to back, that's exhausting. However, I think in my experience, I think that we can still use the power of technology mm. and still have deep connections. I don't feel like our talk right now, I'm lacking because you're not physically in the room with me. Yeah. I do feel like we're in the same like space. Versus there are plenty of people who are, I have had the honor of sitting, being in the same room. And I feel like we're millions yeah. of, and millions of miles apart. Oh my God. I totally get that. Yes. Yeah. So. I wonder why that is. Um, it's, I guess, the way we show up. Sure. And the way the other person shows up, right? Oh my goodness, this this has been really, really lovely. Um, thank you so much for being here. 
I do have a final question for you, but before I ask that, is there anything else you want to say or do you have a question um, for me about anything about curiosity? Yeah, I, I was waiting for this opportunity and I was like, oh, I can ask her so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> Settle on just this one. I'm really curious about um, one of your earliest childhood memories. Mm, okay. It's cooking again. It's <laughs> it's going to be about cooking. And really wanting to learn how to make that pot of rice. My grandmother, who lived with us, my maternal grandmother, did not... Let's just say that the kitchen was her domain. Yes. She did not <laughs> invite helpers okay so i was just i remember like begging her please please i want to learn how to make this rice and so she reluctantly let me come to the kitchen i remember being like a little because i have a little bit of which i didn't recognize for a very long time the creative and and the scientists you know combined and so i remember bringing my pad of paper in and taking <laughs> notes while she's cooking this pot of rice um yeah so that's that's one of my favorite memories of feeling like, oh, I finally got in the kitchen and I could see what she's doing because she was a magical cook. She was wow, really, yeah, really I good. Bet. She was really good um, because that's what she did for us. And that was part of her strong sense of identity. And the more I think about her over the years is I, I feel like I get that nurturing, that strong nurturing and protectiveness about wanting to take care of my family and the people around me and my community too from yeah. her. Because my mom told us a story about my, my grandmother where she said she never let people go hungry. Neighbors would come in, there'd always be food for neighbors. And, and you know, it was more of a, an open community where, you know, somebody comes over, she's going to feed them. So yeah. I feel like that sense of wanting to take care of people manifests itself in the work I do. Oh, that's lovely. That's how I show up. Yeah, it sounds like this is a wonderful part that could go in your book. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's happening. It's, it's happening. happening yes. It's happening slowly, though, but that's okay. I'm enjoying the journey of it. Yeah, and that's what matters. Yes. Sana, what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Hmm. I think for me, it means to be in flow consistently. So that would mean something that's not static because... By definition, if you like, I'm a very sedentary person, but I do try to get some activity in. Like I, you know, so like for me, it's always has to be in flow. Like if we're eating some food, it has to be different every single day. Hmm. And if I'm having a conversation with someone, it has to be flowing, not static. I don't even know if I make sense right now, but like that's what it means for me to be healthy. Like if there's a relationship, there needs to be flow. I do not like stagnancy. Because I feel like it's it's kind of like a river. When you see a river that's flowing, that's a healthy river that's moving on. It's non-linear. It, you know, it's like it's going and there's life that's thriving. So I feel like a river that is flowing, that's what I imagine when I imagine good health. That answer is exactly why you are one of my curiosity superheroes. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. lovely woman who would enjoy practicing yoga with us from the comfort of her own home? 
We foster a peaceful, happy, and safe space in our online yoga classes. Community and relationships matter, so there are no more than 10 women per class. And because we want it to be a good fit, the first month is free for new students. So what are you waiting for? Join today. Book at npkhealthintegration.com. Hope to see you soon.